Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, guys, I, I want us to open the Word of God this morning to the book of Romans. And uh, last week, we reminded ourselves of the prophetic theme that the Holy Spirit spoke into our lives at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, that He wanted us to be challenged. And I couldn't help but tie in with Tim's word this morning around communion, that uh, what motivated Jesus at the cross was He was thinking of you and He was thinking of me. What a different world it would be if we were motivated continuously of thoughts towards others, as Christ was. And uh, so this morning I want to, three years ago the Lord spoke to Viv and I as we were praying, and the Lord said, I'm about to divest my church. And I didn't even know what that word meant, so we had to go and look it up in the dictionary. And I've entitled this message this morning, Divest Yourself. And we're going to go through a short journey through the New Testament this morning. And we're going to see what God is saying to us in regard to this prophetic word. Because whenever God says He's going to do something, He doesn't just say it one Sunday and then He stops when you get home. Amen. It continues and it carries on as long as God wants it to carry on today. So we're reading from Romans 5.18. Therefore, as through one man's Offense. Who was that? Adam. Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. So through one man's offense, the human race went into a fallen state and inherited the fallen nature of one man. And judgment came to the whole world. However, even so, Through one man's righteous act, hallelujah, the free gift came to all men. Oh, don't you love it? Resulting in justification of life. One man's sin, guilt entered the human race. Through one man's righteous act, justification and the free gift of righteousness came to the whole human race. Jesus Christ tipped the human race up on its head, reversed the whole process of what happened in Adam, and literally, through that one act of Calvary, completely turned the world upside down. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Hallelujah. You know, it was only a few years ago that many of you were still dwelling in Adam's nature. You were still pursuing the things that Adam called you to do. You were still wallowing in your own mire, your own muck, and your own degenerate, fallen, sinful human nature. But through one man's act of obedience, through one man's righteous act, your life got turned upside down, inside out, as you believed what Jesus did on the cross. Something took place inside of you that turned your life around. 
If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so in Christ, Adam's effects on the human race were nullified, were reversed through one man's act of obedience and through one righteous act, the free gift of eternal life came to the whole human race. One man, a life focused on others, just like Jesus did for you and me that we've celebrated at communion, can change the destiny of not just your family, but can change the destiny of families, can change the destiny of a nation as God raises up those who are not. Did you know that God delights in choosing the ones who are considered by the world as nothing? Did you know that? That God loves to take the ones who don't have the little letters next to their name. And I apologise to you if you've spent years getting those little letters next to your name this morning. And God can still choose you. But I want to tell you something. He chooses the ones who are humble of heart. He said, if you humble yourself before me, then I will exalt you in due season. That God will raise up. You know, the Bible says that it's not man that promotes, but it's God that promotes. It's God who puts one down and God who raises one up. It's the Lord's decision. It's His is choosing today and through one life one man turned the whole destiny destiny around for many many people you know that the, the issue that we have is that the bible says clearly that for the joy that was set before jesus christ he endured the cross despising its shame what is what does that mean that means that as Tim rightly brought to us this morning, as Jesus was praying three times in the garden, desperately wanting to find another way to, to liberate the human race, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of those droplets of blood, Jesus Christ stayed focused, friends. He didn't veer off through distractions. He didn't look around and see if there was somebody else that could do the job that God asked him to do. He didn't fall into the sin of comparing his life with other people. He knew what his father had called him to do and he stayed focused and single-minded, keeping his eye on the prize. What was that prize? On the other side of the cross, there was a human race that was getting ready to be set free. Just imagine if he got distracted and the devil did his best. Straight after Jesus was water baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit in Matthew 4, the devil came to him and the devil tested him and the devil tempted him. Do you know what he was trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus' life off track. He was trying to reduce his focus. He was trying to minimise the power of a focused life. I don't know about you, friends, but I know for me, many, many distractions come my way in life. And it's so easy to follow the rabbit trail of something that's put in front of you, but it's going to lead not to life, but it's going to lead to spiritual death. So the job at hand today for us, as we're following this theme throughout the course of this year of others, is how easy is it, friends, for you to lose focus on others and put it on yourself? I just find it's just way, way too easy. And sometimes, as the Holy Spirit said, 
to Tim this morning, sometimes God's got to slap you around a little bit in order to wake you up to what His plans and purposes are for your life. Otherwise, you and I are going to get distracted. You know, nobody else can walk your walk for you. Nobody else can live your life for you. You are unique. You're unique in your exterior appearance. You're unique in your interior appearance. But your uniqueness is unique in the calling that you've received from God. God has called you to walk a walk that He hasn't called. Do you remember? Do you remember when, when uh, Simon Peter was getting distracted as Jesus was placing attention on the disciple whom He loved? The Apostle John. And Jesus and Peter started getting envious and jealous. Distraction. Envy. Jealousy. Distraction. And he comes up to Jesus and says, what about me? I don't know if that's how he said it. But that's what the scripture says. He says, what about me, Jesus? And this is what Jesus said to him. Peter, You worry about your own life. Don't worry about John. John's got his own life to live. You live the calling and the life that I've called you to live. Isn't it so easy when we watch others? And sometimes we wish that was our life. And we start fantasizing about living somebody else's life. Friends, you're never going to fulfill the call of God if you're fantasizing about living someone else's life. God's called you to a rich inheritance and a life that only you can live on the calling of God this morning. He didn't lose his eye off the prize. You know, the devil came to Jesus and he said, why don't you use your power, Jesus? You're hungry. Why don't you use your power to turn those stones? You've been without food for 40 days. What was Jesus doing? He was fasting at the beginning of his ministry And I want to tell you, friends, when you do a fast that God's called you to do, can I just say this? When you do a fast that God's calling you to do, it's not just for the immediate matters of the day. You can do a fast. I fasted for four years for my wife before I was married. I fasted and prayed every week that I would marry the right woman, that I wouldn't be distracted, that I would stay on track. And 30 years after being married, I'm still married today. Why was that? Because when you keep your eye on the prize of what God's called you to do, you get the right answers, you get in the right zone, and you get in the right place, and your focus remains strong and steady. And because you've pursued what God has placed within you, in front of you, then you're not tempted to turn those stones into bread. You're not tempted to get distracted. So the devil's master strategy against Jesus and against you is to present distractions that will lead you away from where he wants you to be for the calling that he's called you to. Then he says to Jesus, why don't you come up on the pinnacle of the temple? Jesus, and throw yourself down and see if you're really the son of God because the the word of, and Satan quoted the word. The devil knows the word of God. He'll quote the word of God to you. He says, his angels will guard and watch over you. He's quoting the Psalms to Jesus. Because he comes as an angel in disguise, the devil does. And he says, use your power for the wrong reasons. A corruption of power for the wrong reason. Demonstrate the power of God so the world will see who you really are. 
Jesus replied every single time the devil came to him, it is written, Satan. And he continued to refute every distraction, every bifocus of trying to, to, trying to minimize the calling of Jesus Christ to fulfill that plan that the Father had for him. And Jesus reduced it. Even in his darkest moments, John 12, 27, reading from the Amplified this morning, now my soul is troubled and deeply distressed. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour of trial and agony. But it is for this very purpose that I have come to this hour, this time, and this place. It is for this purpose. Can I ask you a question today? Do you know your purpose? Are you living in your purpose today? Do you have heavenly goals that you're pursuing in your life? That, you're, that you've got on your radar, that you're focused at, that you're, that you're pursuing today? Jesus knew but it is for this very purpose that I have come to this hour, to this time, and this place. It's interesting, Isaiah the prophet prophesied 800 years before Jesus died on the cross for us in great detail in Isaiah 50. But listen to this. Verse 6. My back is given to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. This is a detailed description 800 years before the event took place. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Why not? Because he never committed no wrong. He had nothing to be ashamed about. He could hold his head up high even on that cross because he'd walked directly into the Father's plan. He never lost his focus. Verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. He'll help you this morning. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, listen to this, I have set my face like a flint. What does that mean? That meant Jesus already made his mind up. Right from a very young boy, that he was not going to swerve away from the call of God. He was not going to be distracted, but he was going to stay on track. Flint is a very hard stone. It was used for a number of implements, even implements of war, but it was known because it was granite hard. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am going to be resolute and absolutely determined to pursue what God has for me and nothing else is going to distract me from my call. So how do we run this race like Jesus did this morning, friends? Well, why don't we have a quick look at Hebrews 12 today. Three very precious verses from verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are they? The people mentioned in Hebrews 11. The heroes of the faith. Let us throw off. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him. Who? Jesus. Consider Jesus this morning, friends, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart today. Friends, it's so easy for us to become weary. It's so easy for us to become discouraged and in the midst of us to give up on God's plan for our lives. Maybe you're comparing yourself with someone who's walking such a straight walk and they don't seem to have any problems. Friends, I've got some news for you this morning. Everyone has problems. You're not the only one today. We all have problems because we're all made of the same substance and we're all called to walk the same walk. But you know what? All the same equipment that was available to Jesus is available to you and me today. To walk that straight walk, to not veer off track, but fix our eyes upon Jesus and consider Him. When you're going through a downtime, when you're going through discouragement, consider Jesus. Look to Him as your model, as Tim pointed us to the cross this morning. And so here we have this word picture of a great Colosseum, of a running race. The spectators are in the stands. They're in the bleachers. There's the bleachers this morning. I want you to imagine on the top, there's Elijah. And just below Elijah, there's Moses there. And then there's Elisha with the double portion anointing. And they're all sitting in the bleachers in the stand of the Colosseum. And you're running the race down on the track. You're on the track. And Paul says, there's this great cloud of witnesses who have already run their race. And now they're cheering you on in your race. Friends, I want to know you've got a lot of friends in heaven. You've got friends in heaven who have already done their walk. They've already run their race. And now they want to cheer you on in your race. You've got Enoch who's sitting in that stand. Who the Bible says he walked with God and suddenly he was not. Why wasn't he? He was not because God took him. Two men in the Old Testament in the Bible that were taken by God, Enoch and Elijah, neither of them saw death. They were immediately translated to heaven, supernaturally. They didn't have to suffer old age. They didn't have to suffer wrinkles. They didn't have to suffer all that stuff when your body starts giving up the ghost. They were supernaturally taken. What a testimony that your walk was so pleasing to God that God said, I just can't stand having you separated down here on earth. I've got to bring you home to heaven with me. And so Enoch's cheering you on. The one who so pleased God with his walk. And you've got Moses who parted the Red Sea, who talked to God face to face, who cried out, show me your glory, Lord. And God took him in the palm of his hand and hid him in the cleft of the rock. And he said, I can only show you my back because if I showed you my face, you wouldn't live. You've got Enoch, you've got Moses, you've got Elijah who called down fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and single-handedly took on 400 false prophets and destroyed them. Have you ever thought about that? One man against 400? Come on, guys. You think they just laid down and said, take me? One man. What an anointing. What an anointing to confront the governmental system of idolatry and demonic powers and to rule and reign with Christ. He's in the stands in the Colosseum cheering you on this morning. 
He's saying, I've run my race. I've called down fire from heaven. Now it's your turn today. It's your turn to stay focused so that you cross the finish line and don't get distracted. Don't pull a hammy. Do your homework. Live a disciplined life. So consider Jesus. Fix our eyes upon him today. You know, the writer in Hebrews says, lest you grow weary. I know what it's like to grow weary. I'm just being honest. I know what it's like to walk through times of spiritual fatigue. Do you know why? That's why, that's why I plead for your prayers. And every pastor and leader should in the body of Christ. Do you know why? Because the demonic strategy is revealed in the scriptures. Smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. What does that equal in spiritual formula? Let me tell you what it equals. It equals demonic power saying, smash James and Viv. Kick them while they're down. Beat them up as much as you can so they won't get back on their feet and take their place as shepherds of the flock of Faith Point. And so what does that mean? That means sometimes when I get up in the morning, I could bow to that spirit of depression. I could bow to those oppressing forces that are trying to pin me down in my bed and stop me from getting up to pray and read my word. But I've got to get up. I've got to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and take my place in the army of God because that's what God has called me to do. I can't feel sorry for myself. I can't wallow in self-pity. I can't afford to do that because the day I do that is the day the devil will take advantage. And he will kick me while I'm down because he has no ground rules. There's no Geneva Convention with the devil, friends. He doesn't play by the rules. Daniel 7, 25 gives us the demonic strategy very clear. This is what it says in the King James Bible. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. Who's this? The Antichrist. The world ruler that's about to emerge on the scene that I just can't help, help but feel is drawing so much closer with everything that's going on right now in the world. But let's not get distracted. Let's stay on task this morning. But he says, he shall speak great words against the Most High. And here's a strategy. Look, look at this. And shall wear out the saints. How do you get worn out? You get worn out by taking on too much stuff that you were never called to take on. You get worn out by taking everybody else's burdens. Where Jesus said, cast your burdens on me. Don't take everybody else's burdens. Transfer them. Place them on me. I've already done it at the cross. You shouldn't be carrying your own burden. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. Friends, don't fall into the trap. The trap of the devil of being worn out to the point. You know what happens when you're worn out? I always said to Viv, when we were getting through World War I, first year, World War II, second year, World War III, and we were about to go into nuclear holocaust mode in our marriage. <laughs> Those early years were some of the toughest years that I've had. Learning to balance on the edge of the bed for half the night, neither of us sleeping. Because we knew the scripture principle. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. <sighs> Wake up with two hours sleep after arguing all night. 
and then going doing a full day's work and trying to do it properly, computer programming. And with a couple of hours sleep. And then three little kids. Raising them all while I'm vivs up leading the worship. I'm looking after my three little kids around my feet here on. And then we swap places as she comes off the stage and I get up to preach. We did that for years. And the one thing that I had to continuously watch out for was the demonic strategy of taking on too much and getting worn out by the devil. Because you know what happens when you get worn out? Your defenses are lowered and things get past your shield. And when they get past your shield, just a, a small comment that somebody may make that's got no venom in it at all, but you take it the wrong way. He's getting at me. Why did she say that, do you think? And we start second-guessing all of our conversations. And then darts of unforgiveness start sticking into our spirit. Why? Because you're tired. Because you're weary. And so I said to Viv, I, 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 I saw the pattern. And I said to Viv, if we've got something to resolve, and I'm feeling really tired... I can't go there because if I go there when I'm feeling really tired, it's all going to go pear-shaped. Why don't we resume court? <laughs> let's resume court tomorrow, honey. And let's deal, let's deal with this. You lawyer up, I'll lawyer up. <laughs> and let's deal with this in a civilised manner when we are refreshed and no longer tired so that we can cope with the heavy issues that we were facing. Wow, look at that. The strategy of the devil is to wear down the saints. You know, the thing that I love about Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, did you know this is what he said? Philippians 1 says this, He that has begun a good work in you he will complete what he started. So if you're kind of feeling half finished right now, you're kind of feeling half baked, half done, and you're wondering, is there hope for me? I want to tell you today, Jesus has not given up on you this morning. He's got a plan to go all the way to the finished work of completion because he sees the end from the beginning and he sees that shiny bright you down the end of the corridor of time. That's where your life is going, friends, not the frazzled version that you see today. <laughs> Come on. Can I hear an amen out there? <laughs> Let's encourage ourselves in the Lord today that he will perform it right up until that last day, the day of Jesus Christ. So friends, there's three things that Paul says, not Paul, the writer of the Hebrews, they're not sure if it was the Apostle Paul. How do we run this race in order to win? Well, how did Jesus do it? The first thing was he said, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. This is where the word divest comes from. Divest means to strip, to dispossess, to take off, to get rid of. And so a, gov a new government may be voted in. We're not sure what's happening right now, but a new government may be voted in. And then they suddenly they will 
decide they're going to divest themselves of state assets. So what do they do? They sell them off to the public. And they've just divested themselves of state-owned assets. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is here, he's, he's saying this, throw off, divest yourself. Strip yourself of all the junk that's slowing you down, that's creating problems in your life. It's time to eject and divest yourself. Strip off, take off, throw off. In the Old Testament days, when they, when they used to run, they used to still wear funny garbs. And what they, the same scripture that Peter wrote, he said, gird up the loins of your mind. So what they would do is that a Middle Eastern man is, is never found, you'll never find a Middle Eastern man running. I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry. It's beyond their dignity to do that. But when they had to race, they had to literally gather up their garments and hold on to them. And in many cases, disrobe because they couldn't run at the pace that they needed to in order to cross the finish line. So what is it that's hanging around your shoulders that's not a mantle from God, but it's a menace from the devil that you need to discard, throw off, divest yourself from it because it's only creating you problems. Throw off everything that hinders, Paul said. Could be a friendship. It may be an unholy association that's developed in your life. You know, I, I went through a period of time. This must be confession morning this morning. In 1999, our church went through a huge growth period. And uh, we went from being in one building for one year and we outgrew that building. That congregation doubled in size in a year. And I was getting run off my feet and I had all sorts of things happening. And a lady came into the church and she was, she was a really nice lady. Got on really well with her husband and her family. And then I found myself starting to fantasize about this woman. Wrong thoughts. Not sexual thoughts. But thoughts of what a nice person she is. Wow, I'd love to spend more time with this lady. And my wife, being very astute as she is, she picked up that there was something not quite right in the way that I was treating this woman. And she started talking to me about it. And I said, oh, no, there's nothing there, honey. You're kidding yourself. There's nothing there. And then I would go to prayer and I'd feel really disturbed in my spirit because I knew she was starting to hit on something. And I was kidding myself about where this could possibly go if I continued to invest in that relationship. And so by the grace of God, I was able to preempt the devil's strategy to take my focus off shepherding a growing church and getting involved in a wrong manner, a wrong association, an emotional affair with somebody and cut it off. And you know what happened? When I took that step in the spirit and in prayer, suddenly that lady just left the church and her whole family for no apparent reason. 
Wow, isn't that amazing? Because sometimes the devil will send a plant. He will send an emissary that can be influenced by the devil to get right in the spokes of your wheels and to trip you and I up. So I had to take spiritual authority and throw off that which was hindering my walk with God. Because you see, I knew it was becoming something when I would, be, I would go to pray and suddenly her face would come into my mind as I was praying. And when that started happening, I knew the devil was getting his hooks into my life. I hope that helps you this morning, church. Secondly, he says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Isn't that an apt description of what sin does? It entangles us. It gets around our legs and our feet until we get tripped up in our lives. You know, there's, a, there's an amazing plant. Can I have the picture of this plant? It's called a sundew plant. Isn't it tantalizingly, look, what an amazing, it looks like little droplets of dew on the end of each one of those feelers. So when a fly flies over that plant, it looks deliciously yummy. And so it swoops down, but what it doesn't realize is that those little globules on the end of each one of those stems is actually a very sticky substance. And so the fly will land on it. It looks so good. It tastes so good, but when he goes to fly away, suddenly he's stuck and he can't move. So you know what he does? He gorges on as much as he can because he can't move and he can't go anywhere. And then the flower unfolds over the top of him. And when it opens up again, there's only a shell of the fly as it has been consumed and it is dead. I thought... What a great apt description of sin that looks so tantalizingly good, but it entangles us and it trips us up. Maybe it's in the sexual arena for some men and maybe some women too. And maybe your Achilles heel, but that's not the same for all men. Another, it may be regularly getting victory over the whole area of envy and jealousy within your heart. It's a deadly nectar that can poison our soul. Maybe it's the temptation to share those little, we call them white lies. Those little white lies, but a lie is a lie no matter which way we dress it up within our lives. And we start kidding ourselves and living a life that lacks integrity because we're telling little porkies. So what is it today is the sin that so easily entangles you and me? What do we need to divest ourselves from this morning, friends? Is it criticism, laziness? Hatred, lust, is it unthankfulness, is it pride? Whatever it is, friends, we need to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and we need to get honestly, honest with God. Lastly, this morning, he says this, run with perseverance. Other translations translate that word perseverance as endurance. You don't start a marathon the same way you start the 100-meter sprint. If you do, you'll never cross the finish line of the marathon. So it's one thing to start the Christian race. And, and after being a pastor for 30 years, friends, I want to say this. I've seen many 
get off the starting blocks with a hiss and a roar. I've seen them give testimony to the Lord of what He's done within their life. And three, four years down the track, they're not even walking with the Lord anymore. They're enemies of the cross of Christ with many tears. What happened? They never ran with endurance or perseverance. And when they came up against difficulties, we love that honeymoon. I I had a honeymoon of about 12 months as a new Christian. It was like every day colour was exploding into my vision. Every day I had incredible feelings, emotional highs. Every day it was an amazing time. It was no problem for me to get up at 5am every morning and spend an hour and a half with the Lord before I went uh, off to work. It was just, it wasn't a burden, it was a joy. It was a pleasure. And then the hard times hit. Then the tough times hit. Somebody in your family gets cancer. Somebody dies that, that you nobody even, even predicted. We've had four suicides on both sides of the family and vivanized things. Four people have taken their own lives. We, we have a big family. But one's too many. And we had to walk through with the family. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet I will fear no evil. We had to come to that place where we wouldn't fear evil. When everything was going pear-shaped and families around about us, we continued with our eyes fixed on Jesus because of the grace of God that we all have access to do. You see, friends, you can't run my race and I can't run your race today. You've got your own race to run and I've got my race to run. But one thing we can both do, we can finish well and we can cross the finish line with our eyes still fixed on Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. There may be other stuff that comes around your life, but if you will hold on to Jesus, if you will never let Jesus go in your life, you can guarantee that you're going to cross the finish line and you can do it with great joy. What motivated Jesus to cross the finish line? For the joy that was set before Him. In other words, His prize wasn't just getting through the cross. His prize was knowing that the work of the cross was going to free a whole human race from the slavery of sin and give people the opportunity to meet Daddy, Abba Father, and start a relationship with Him. Without Jesus doing that, there is no walk with God. There is no relationship. Paul said it like this as he came to the end of his race. As he was closing in on death, he knew he was dying. He was having health problems. The great Apostle Paul, who literally lived his life for others, his whole life from the day he got converted to the day he went to be with the Lord was all about focusing on other people and giving himself and his life as Jesus gave himself. And he said this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I hope every single one of us here, friends, this morning can say that. I hope we'll all be able to say we've finished the race that God has given to us. And not only that, he says, I've kept the faith. What is all the hardship about? The hardship, friends, is the devil wants to take you of the number one thing that's going to get you close to the heart of God. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to turn you into an unbeliever. He wants to turn you into a critic of Christianity, a cynic because of the disappointments you've faced within your life. He wants to rob you of that great commodity called faith. And that commodity will cause you to get 
and cross the finish line in your life today. He said, what's in store for me? Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not just to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Did you get that, friends? When we start losing our first love, when the heat and when the temperature and the temperature, somebody once said, how's the spiritual temperature of your congregation, pastor? He said, I don't know. And he said, stick a thermometer in your mouth and find out what your temperature is. Because that's likely to reflect what's in your congregation today. And, and, and Paul says here, he says, he says, to all those who have longed for his appearing. How does your spiritual temper rate, temperature rate from your first love when you first met Jesus to present day? Are you still longing for the second coming? Are you still longing for when the trumpet of God shall sound and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ as far as lightning will run from the east to the west across the skyline as the King of Kings returns? Are you still longing for that or have you got distracted on things of this world? For the joy that was set before him through one man's righteous act, the free gift of eternal life came to all men through one man's obedience. It was all about others. Jesus did it for you and me, the joy that was set before him. Who are you doing it for today? What's your motivating force in your life this morning? Have you lost sight of it? Because let me tell you this, your first love can leak. You might be walking around and you've got a big leak. Or maybe it's like a slow leak on a tyre on a car. Aren't they annoying? You pump it up. Five days later, you go to get your car to the garage and it's half flat. It's not fully flat, but you've got a slow leak. And sometimes we develop a slow leak. There's some issue within our life that's causing our first love to leak. And as a result, we're not walking the same way anymore. We're not longing for fellowship. We're not getting into the Word. We're kidding ourselves saying that we can read a two-minute devotion and pray for a minute and that's, how, that's, that's satisfactory. And friends, it's not about laws and rules, but I want to tell you something. If that's what you're leaning on in your spiritual walk, when the devil comes against you, you're going to have to pull more out of the hat than that. You need to be connected, locked in to the King of Kings, that the life of Jesus is flowing into your body. So you can finish the race this morning. Can we stand to our feet today, please?